This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allows members to request future stories and themes. Thank you for listening. This podcast contains mature content and is intended for an adult audience only. It contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of all stories is fiction with any similarities to real people or events being purely coincidental. This podcast is not intended for anything but entertainment of the listener, and if you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. The Currency of Time by Daniel Q. Steele 1 Chapter 03 April 17th 2009 Luis gave me a nod from behind the bar. It was a Friday, but a lot of the regulars hadn't shown up. Guatemala and particularly the port cities like Puerto Barrios on the Gulf of Honduras and Pacific sides were hurting. The American Depression of 2008 could be called a recession in the U.S. but it was a full-fledged 1930s Great Depression in the Central American economies that a lot of the shipping business that brought money and jobs into Puerto Barrios had dried up. Bars like Luis Eldorado, that once did a flourishing business with many local types and Americans doing business down here, were keeping their heads above water barely. My buddies and I were doing our bit to keep Luis open and in the black. The booze wasn't too bad, and not too badly watered down. The local females weren't too hard on the eyes. The place was always good for some poker, and we could keep track on world affairs through the cable link to CNN. All in all, while I checked out rumors of a possible oil field a few miles off the coast in the Gulf of Honduras, it was a comfortable place to hang out. Luis was well-connected and he was usually aware of what was going on this part of the port. So I excused myself from a poker game being played with some of the local gangsters and a dark-haired angel with breasts that nearly fell out of the sheer blouse she wore and stood up. Maria ran a hand lightly down the side of my thigh and although she didn't come close to my dick, I started getting hard. Don't be long, she said in heavily accented English. How could I stay away from you for long? I replied in Spanish. That brought a smile that made the blood in my lower extremities hum right along. Poker was for relaxation. We wouldn't lose too much and wouldn't try to take the gangsters for too much. They were fairly pleasant as long as they weren't losing a lot of money. And my two friends and I carried enough hardware that they wouldn't cause trouble. Too much effort for too little profit. But Maria and that body of hers... Now, she was going to make this a memorable night. It would cost me because the head gangster was either her boyfriend, husband, or pimp. But it would be worth it. It had been a little too long since I'd buried myself in a warm, rounded female body. There were rooms upstairs available at very reasonable rates. I intended to be in one of those beds with Maria in the not-too-distant future. Luis? Luis was probably only about forty, but he looked to be about sixty. He had one of those long, bony faces with bags under his eyes that made him look like he was always sleep-deprived. There are people looking for you. Yes? People looking for me could be a good thing or a bad thing, but usually it turned out to be a bad thing. I tried very hard to stay away from married women, but sometimes mistakes happened. Sometimes business deals didn't turn out the way they'd been planned and some businessmen weren't the kind to take a long-range view of wins and losses. They wanted their money back now. There weren't a lot of philosophical businessmen south of the border. Not that many north of the border, for that matter. But unhappy businessmen in the US and Canada were likely to send lawsuit notices. South of the border they were more likely to send men with guns. Americans. Two of them well-dressed. One is older, a big dark-haired man. The other one younger with silver hair. He snorted. They might as well carry signs saying rich North Americans. They probably wouldn't live long enough to be a problem, but they have three armed bodyguards, one of them very big, well-armed, and very bad. A Brit. The last caught my attention. It was unlikely to be who I thought it was, but it was odd. Anything else? They are throwing money around freely, so it won't be long before they walk in here. I reached into a hidden pouch in my money belt and pulled out a hundred-dollar bill. We threw a lot of money his way but down here it was common courtesy to repay a favor with currency. 
Gracias. He shrugged. De nada. I was walking back to my table when Ben Overhauser intercepted me. He had been a part of my crew for nearly five years and always had my back. Something? Not sure. Two Americans looking for me with three armed bodyguards. You want to hang here or make ourselves scarce? We can ask around and find out who they are before we meet. I think I know who they are. I'm just not sure why they would be here. I had a hunch. One I didn't want to think about. Despite my warning, had something bad happened to Deirdre something final and the company had thought I should be notified? I had walked away and buried her. But she refused to stay dead. I didn't even want to think about that. I had wished a lot of bad things upon her over the last five years, but I didn't wish death upon her. As Maitland had said, I was just stupid. I sat back down and Maria began almost jerking me off, but not quite. Her husband boyfriend Pimp Macario and two of his stooges glanced at Maria but then returned their attention to the table. A deck waited for the next hand and there was about a hundred dollars American in ones and change and a few fives scattered among the players. We never played for heavy stakes and Macario's boys knew that if they tried to bump the table stakes up to five dollars a hand or higher, we'd just shut down the game and go back to drinking. Too much money on the table was a bad idea all around. Overhauser carried an AK-47 on a loop from his left shoulder, and it was always ready. He had been a mercenary in a former life and like a lot of professional soldiers he swore by the AK-47. Besides its mystique fashioned in guerrilla conflicts around the globe, he swore that it never jammed, never misfired and you could put almost any kind of shell in it, and it would still spit out death. In a holster on his side, he carried a clap Colt 1911.45 with 20 rounds in an ammunition belt. In a shoulder holster he carried one of the new Glock 31 semi-autos and ammunition in a bandolier. He hadn't had to shoot many people in the five years I'd known him, but he looked fierce as hell. Ray Wendell carried a Mossberg 500 specially adapted short barrel shotgun, which was very good for calming down disagreements in tight quarters, a Glock 17L pistol with a 17-shot magazine and on his hip a Sig Sauer P320 with a 17-shot magazine, and me. I carried a FNX 45 revolver which carried 16 very nasty and high-powered shells that if they didn't kill you, they were likely to leave you wishing you were dead. That was the handgun I carried in a holster on my right hip loosely. I ran my fingers over its metal and I could fire without taking it out of the holster. Of course, Maria ran her fingers over it while running her fingers over other parts of my anatomy, but I didn't figure she'd want to shoot her own man and she couldn't take it away from me. And on various parts of my body I carried a 3-inch long Bond Ranger Derringer which fired two big shots, a Patriot 45, and a Stinger SS. Again, I'd only had to shoot one man in the last year, and he had been surprised as hell when he missed the Derringer, and it blew a very big hole in his chest. But he hadn't been willing to discuss our differences like gentlemen. Actually life in Guatemala was not nearly as bloodthirsty as that accounting might indicate, but looking like bad men had worked for us so far that I sipped another whiskey during the next hand while Macario griped about his luck at the table. The miserable economic climate, and how difficult it was for a hardworking Guatemalan to from time to time his thugs would throw in a comment, or two. I was pretty sure he knew I knew what he and they were saying. People came in and out and now there were four gangsters and then five, moving from the bar to buy drinks for a couple of the working girls and hitting the bathrooms as well. I wasn't really worried, but I began to get a general bad feeling about the evening. Maria stood at my side and nuzzled my ear. Her breath was sweet and the feel of her soft flesh pressing against my shoulder was very nice. In English and Spanish she told me how big and hard I felt and how she was dripping, waiting for me to take her upstairs. Of course, I knew I was just a job for her, a source of coin. The whore with the heart of gold is as rare as the unicorn, but I couldn't help the effect she was having on me. We are all slaves to female magic. I asked her to get me another shot of whiskey, and as she walked away I looked at Overhauser and Wendell and tapped my white gold Rolex Oyster Cosmograph. Both of them nodded. We needed to close things out shortly and get out. I looked back at Macario and noticed his lustful glance at my Rolex. It was stupid to be flaunting steak in front of a starving tiger, but the Rolex was my most prized possession. My father had always wanted one, and from time to time he'd had the money, but there was always some reason why he couldn't buy it when he could afford it. When I could afford it, I wasted no time and I'd worn it on my wrist for the past five years. It truly would come off my wrist only after my heart stopped beating. He grinned at me, although it wasn't a friendly grin. He wanted what I had and he was weighing how much it would cost him to try to grab it from three well-armed Yankees. Michael McCarthy, you're a hard man to track down. The chatter in the bar stopped. 
over Hauser and Wendell kept their eyes on Macario and his men. I turned around and wasn't surprised to see Hugh Davidson and Matt Henry standing in front of the bar. A few feet behind Henry stood the hulking Harper Stevens and two other men who had to be professional bodyguards. Macario and his men studied the newcomers. As Luis had said, both Davidson and Henry reeked of American wealth, and the smell had the same effect that spilled blood would have on sharks. I knew I had to get Davidson and Henry out before the sharks went into a feeding frenzy, and a lot of bodies piled up. I walked toward them as quickly and casually as I could, but the hair rose on the back of my neck. Davidson, Henry, it's been a long time. Why don't you guys come with us to our hotel room and we can talk about why you're here? Davidson reached out to shake my hand, saying, That would be fine. We didn't want to get in the middle of your business here. As he took my hand, his left swung around, and I saw that the same expensive attache case he'd carried into Bailey's conference room was attached to his wrist, with a handcuff. It was one of those moments that freezes time. As I saw it my gaze shot back to Macario. He had seen it as well and he was pulling out short-barreled revolvers in his left and right hands and shouting to his men. Bullets began to smash into the bar and bottles shattered behind the bar. I shoved Davidson aside and hoped he'd have sense enough to go to the floor. I had my FNX out and was pulling the trigger as fast as I could. Time unfroze but it was still moving very slowly. Macario's body was slammed backward by the FNX shells and his shots were going wild all over the place. Maria was screaming and had hit the floor. I had a feeling this wasn't the first time she'd been in a gunfight. Wendell had brought his shotgun up and even while one of Macario's lieutenants pointed an old-fashioned six-shooter at him, Wendell fired the shotgun. The blast threw the small man against the back wall of the bar. From behind me I heard shots from where Harper Stevens and the other two bodyguards were exchanging fire with two more of Macario's gang. Then all hell broke loose as Overhauser from the floor where he had dropped while bullets were whizzing by him opened up with the AK-47, spraying the back of the bar with a hail of fire. The scene was still struggling to come to full speed from the slow-motion action that had been unfolding all around me. I watched Macario hit the back wall stand and then wind up cut down by AK-47 fire. Four of Macario's men went flying in different directions. After the sudden explosion of violent noise, there was only silence that I took in the sobbing, the movement of people trying to get to their feet, and then I glanced down at Davidson where I pushed him to the floor. He held a glock in a professional two-handed grip, aimed directly at my chest. There wasn't time to wonder why, I just threw myself as hard as I could to the left to try to get out of the line of fire. As I fell, Davidson fired once, twice and three times where I'd been standing. He lowered the glock and I allowed myself to breathe again. I looked in the direction he had fired. Another man who had been with Macario, based on the two handguns that slipped from his lifeless fingers, was folding up and falling to the floor. Sorry, McCarthy. I saw him and didn't have time to warn you. I'm glad your reflexes are good. Harper Stevens walked over to the dead man and rolled him over. He looked back at Davidson. You military, Mr. Davidson? A long time ago. You must have kept up your practice. Three shots to the heart, all fitting within a half dollar. I don't know many professionals who could do that in this kind of situation. They could have sent you as MY bodyguard. I handle troublesome situations for the bank. I've had anti-terrorist training. And I was a military cop in Berlin in the 70s when it was the Wild East. I guess it's just ingrained now. Luis poked his head over the top of the bar. You're going to owe me big time, McCarthy. His gaze ran from one end of the building to the other. Six dead men on the floor. Maria bent over Macario, sobbing. Five barflies and port workers who had picked the wrong night to come in for drinks standing up and wondering if it was safe to bolt for the door to the outside. Henry knelt in the corner and looking closer I saw he was staring at one of the bodyguards who lay sprawled out on the floor of the bar. Moving closer, I saw a bullet hole in the center of the fallen man's forehead, blood beginning to pool beneath him. I put my hand on Henry's shoulder. Are you okay, Henry? He didn't answer for a moment then looked up at me. There were tears in his eyes. He pushed me down when the shooting started and stood over me. He died saving my life. Nobody's ever died to save my life before. Harper Stevens was beside me. That's what he was paid to do, Mr. Henry. That's what everyone who works as a professional bodyguard, or a mercenary, knows is a risk of the game. He was well paid, and he knew the risks. His name was Goldberg. Tommy Goldberg. He has a wife and two kids back in Jacksonville. Harper Stevens loomed over him, his voice lowered to a near whisper. This is the first time you've ever seen somebody die like this in real life. Henry just nodded. 
It's not like the movies, Harper Stevens said. It's real. He grabbed Henry by his arms and pulled him to his feet, pushing him toward Lise and the bar. He held up two fingers and Lise filled two glasses with whiskey. He just nodded to me and stood Henry against the bar, picking up one of the shot glasses and handing it to him. The first thing you do is down two shots of whiskey, and then as many more as you need. Feel free to upchuck or cry. Do whatever you need to do but you need to keep moving. It will be easier tomorrow. Davidson looked around as he got to his feet. We need to get out of here. We have six dead locals and one American. I'd hate to have to explain that to the local cops when they arrive. Wendell and Overhauser walked toward us, Wendell leaning on Overhauser. I noticed the blood staining his shirt and dripping down his chest. Wendell stayed on his feet, but he was pale. You going to be okay? Wendell nodded. Bastard was faster than I expected. But I'll be okay. Doesn't feel like he busted my shoulder, and O says it's a straight through and through. We can run down the coast and be at a clinic in a couple of hours. I'll last that long. Then, looking at me, he said, What about you? What about me? Wendell reached out and ran his finger along the side of my face. He pulled it away and blood dripped from his finger. I reached up and ran my finger across my cheek. The pain hit me a second later. There was a half-inch deep fro running from my ear to the edge of my mouth. Shit. I must have used up all my luck for the next five years. No, Overhauser said. You used up all your luck for the next twenty-five years. He reached up and ran his finger over my scalp. It was dripping blood when he drew it back. What the hell? I was almost afraid to reach up and touch my scalp but I did so. There wasn't a deep fro, only a scratch, but it was bleeding like crazy. As I ran my fingers over my forehead I wiped away the blood beginning to seep down over my left eye. I don't know how in the hell you managed to miss being killed twice by less than a fraction of an inch in a firefight. Overhauser said. We ever go to war again, I want to be standing behind you. I didn't want to think about the odds against me continuing to breathe so I went over to the bar and told Luis. What would it cost to have these bodies disappear without reports going to the local militia? And replace all the damages? Can you make this go away? Louis studied the bodies, the bullet holes, the smashed chairs, the five witnesses huddling in a corner and Maria kneeling over Macario's body. Ten thousand American. Cash. Now. Done. I reached into my money belt into a compartment behind the buckle and pulled out ten crisp one thousand dollar bills. Then I handed over another thousand dollars. Free drinks for our friends over in the corner for the next month or so. That cover it? See. He was already on a telephone barking out Spanish so rapidly that I had trouble keeping up. I thought the dead men the Guatemalans at least were on the road to becoming chum for the fishermen who brought in sharks to satisfy the Chinese and Asian markets for shark fin soup and other delicacies. I approached the five witnesses with my FNX held loosely in my right hand, Wendell at my right holding his shotgun at a 45-degree angle, Overhauser carrying the AK-47 with the barrel pointed toward the floor. Harper Stevens loomed up behind us. I singled out a rough-looking six-footer with broad shoulders and the skin tone of a man who worked in the sun all the time. In Spanish I told him, I have a proposition for you and your friends. His gaze darting among the firepower facing him, he answered. What kind of proposition? You're going to go home and forget you saw anything tonight, or even that you were in here. There's a hundred dollars American for each of you, and a free bar here for the next month. If you can keep your mouth shut. Four minutes later they were gone. I approached Maria, still cradling Macario's bloody head in her lap. It looked like she was crying real tears. Overhauser had removed all of Macario's firepower. Maria. Maria, you need to go. Macario is gone. We will be leaving and we'll give you a ride anywhere you like. We don't have to do anything, you don't have to earn your ride, but he was my husband, you bastard. He was my husband and you killed him. He didn't leave us any choice. And now you're a widow, so... She screamed and hurled herself up at me only to be caught by Harper Stevens and held tightly against his chest. He tightened a ham-fisted grip on the side of her neck and within moments she sank back against him. Motionless dot he handed her over to me and I threw her over my shoulder. We couldn't allow her to go right now to the local police screaming about a Yankee massacre of her husband and his friends. Harper Stevens knelt down over the fallen body of Tommy Goldberg and lifted him like a man hoisting a child. We looked around carefully when we stepped outside. It was already near 10 p.m. and there were few people on the street. We didn't see any police patrols. 
We found our jeep where we parked it down the street from the Eldorado. Davidson and Henry and their crew had come in a Lincoln Town car. Follow us. We're heading for the harbor. We have a motorboat there to take us out to a yacht a friend loaned me. It will get us down the coast. There was more room in the town car so Maria and Goldberg's body were guarded by Harper Stevens and the remaining security guard. Davidson drove. Henry rode with the three of us in the jeep. As we followed the winding streets toward the waterfront, Henry suddenly said, Six men died back there. How how do you go on like nothing happened? We're not, Overhauser said. We're just getting out before we wind up spending years in a Guatemalan jail or with our throats cut by those bastards' friends. I motioned for him to cool it. Mr. Henry, we're not acting like nothing happened. Wendell was shot and will need medical attention. One of your bodyguards was killed, and I nearly had two holes put in my head. Overhauser is right. There is no way there could be a good ending to our killing Guatemalan nationals and having a wife testify as to how we attacked them. Don't forget. We were the victims. They came after us and we were defending ourselves. You're in shock right now because you're not used to experiencing this side of life. This is a different world. We're used to it because we live in it. You're not. Like Harper Stevens said, just keep moving, go back to your life, and this will all seem like a bad dream. He was silent while we made our way to the powerboat. Two trips brought all of us to the 50-footer that a Chinese general had said I could use for keeping my mouth shut about activities that would have put him in front of a firing squad. It was small but it was fast and had two bathrooms, a completely equipped galley with some expensive foodstuffs, caviar-stuffed shrimp in the freezer, a complete medical kit, and an area where you could lay a patient down while sewing up their boo-boos. There were only four beds but you would throw a blanket down and sleep on deck if more passengers came. Overhauser was constantly riding my ass about learning the proper nautical terminology for beds and stuff. I very reasonably reminded him. I'm not a fucking sailor and I can call them whatever I want, and besides I pay you. Understood? But he remained defiant. If he hadn't been such a good old man, and so good with the AK-47 I would have fired him. But I figured his services were worth a little aggravation. He had also been a medical corpsman and was good at patching up things, handling broken bones, all the misadventures you could encounter a long way from a regular hospital. He administered an injection to Maria after laying her down in one of the bed's bunks. Okay. She turned over and snored in her sleep. Looking down at her with bronze skin showing all over the place, long thick black hair cradling that pretty face, I wished that she could forgive me for killing her husband, scumbag that he was. But that wasn't going to happen. If I ever laid down with her, I'd get up minus dick balls in my head. We'll check on her but I think that should keep her down for eight to ten hours. He said. Let me give Wendell some TLC that will keep him breathing until we reach a clinic in Porta Cortez. Which was a fairly good sized city just across the border in Honduras. Harper Stevens and the other bodyguard, a guy named Larry, were at the wheel, Stevens inspecting the layout. This is a sweet ride, Mr. McCarthy. When I heard what you did and that you'd left the country, I figured you'd be in some Colombian prison by now. A reasonable guess. But fortunately there are enough undiscovered oil fields and people and companies and countries panting to discover them that I've done pretty well. How about yourself? It took about six months to fully recover from that damage that asshole Grove did to my ankle and leg, but I came back. He was one lucky motherfucker. If he'd ever had the balls to give me a second try, I'd have put him in the hospital, but he didn't turn out to be a bad sort. Married my sister, actually. He's a constable in London now, by the way. And I went with the bank, better pay and benefits. I have a 17-year-old I'm putting through NYU. She's going to be something. About as far from her old man as you can get. I think she'll wind up in the fancy pants diplomatic service and never have to duck bullets or beat a hasty retreat. She's going to go a lot further than I ever dreamed of. For a big, scary guy, he looked positively cuddly for a moment. Something about kids. They have that effect on big tough guys. I felt a deep pain I couldn't identify for a moment. Then I shoved it back down into the darkness where old dreams lurked that I heard someone approaching and found Overhauser standing there. Let's go below deck and get you sewed up, boss. I'd been keeping a cloth against my cheek but it was dripping red and I had to keep wiping the drip of blood into my left eye from my scalp. We headed toward the bunks but Overhauser pulled me toward the small clinic area with the cot. I sedated the girl and I gave Wendell some strong pain medication that has him groggy. I hope he can sleep some before we get to the clinic in Porta Cortez. He needs the rest. I can sew you up in here. 
I sank down on the cot and stretched out, closing my eyes. He took the pad away from my cheek which hurt like hell because the blood has turned into glue holding the cloth to the flesh. I felt something stinging applied to the cut, and I knew he was cleaning it with alcohol. That's one hell of a cut, boss. I'll do the best I can and they can work on it at the clinic, but I think it's going to leave a real big scar. Shit, that means it's curtains for my big screen career. He laughed. I hate to break it to you, but you weren't good looking enough for the silver screen before Macario shot you. Do the best you can. Just don't leave me the phantom of the opera. I'll use butterfly stary strips and leaving the serious stitching up to the docks. Let me put some of this topical pain ointment on it, and then I'll start. It's still going to hurt. I laugh at pain. I wasn't laughing when he finished, but it hadn't been that bad. He blotted up the blood on my scalp and then buzzed my head with a razor and placed several long band-aids from the back of my skull to the front. Those are only scratches on top. I think the band-aids will stop the bleeding and in the morning they'll be healing. We sat there silently, feeling the motion of the yacht as its engines pushed it through the waves in the early morning hours, the sound of the hull slapping waves and from somewhere not too far away the toll of a buoy in the dark seas. Michael. I opened my eyes. He virtually never called me anything but boss. And when he did it was something serious. We've been through a lot of scrapes the last five years, haven't we? It's all been fun and games, Ben. But if it wasn't dangerous, your wife would have to give up her volunteer work at the animal shelter and get a real paying job. He smiled. He didn't talk about his wife much, but when we had had the time and good fortune to find friendly ladies, he always passed on the opportunities presented. And some of the opportunities had been very tempting. I don't know how to put it into words, but this is different. I have a bad feeling about all this. It'd be hard to have a good feeling about bodies dropping all around us. It's more than that. I don't know what's in that briefcase that Davidson is lugging around, but I have an idea. I think you do too. It's money. A lot of money. I nodded. Yeah, I think it's a lot of money. The rumors I've heard are that you burned up a cashier's check for ten million dollars. I'm sure it's exaggerated, but dash, it's not exaggerated. You burned up ten million dollars. In an untraceable cashier's check? Yes. Why? I had my reasons. Temporary insanity? My reasons, Ben. I don't expect you to understand. I don't expect anyone to understand. They're my reasons. You think she sent you another check? I don't know any other reason for Davidson and Henry to be here with that briefcase. How do you trust anybody? A free ten million would even tempt a rich banker or lawyer. We don't know anything about the bodyguard and Stevens has a daughter he could set for life if we all vanished. I'd trust Wendell with my life. But ten million untraceable dollars? Even me, boss, even me. I have a life in Tampa. But I've thought about it. Not hard. But it's crossed my mind. It's probably crossed everybody's mind. Which is why we need to get this over with. I stood up a little unsteadily but got my balance. Find Davidson and Henry, Stevens and the other bodyguard. Send them down to the den. He gave me a nasty look but just shook his head. He knew what I was talking about. The den was in the center of the yacht, with a couch and several chairs, a pool table and a fully stocked bar. I made my way to it. I checked my watch. It was 2 a.m. The witching hour or close to it. Time to bring down the curtain on this shitty melodrama that Deirdre had set up. Reduce the check to ashes, if there was a check, and all the suspicions and paranoia swirling about the yacht would instantly vanish. Davidson and Henry walked in behind Overhauser. Davidson still looked like he was ready to report to the office, a crease in his pants and his shoes shined. Henry was in his bare feet and his clothing looked like he had been woken out of sleep. A far cry from the polished attorney type I'd seen in Bailey's office five years before. I'll head up to get Stevens. Overhauser said. I noticed he carried the AK-47 on his shoulder, even here. Before he could make his way to the door, the surviving bodyguard, Larry, a tall, slim brunette who always carried a .45 automatic on his hip, stepped through the doorway. I left Stevens at the wheel. He said he'd already seen this once before and I might enjoy it more. I sat on the couch and motioned for Davidson and Henry to sit down as well. Overhauser took up position behind the pool table where he could watch us and Larry as well. Davidson swung the attaché case up on the table between us and reached into a coat pocket to retrieve a small key. He unlocked the handcuff and then a second key opened the case. He popped the case open. Inside were two envelopes. I thought I knew what was in one. 
I had no idea about the other. I picked up the second, which was fatter and unlike the first bearing handwriting on the outside. I turned the envelope around to read the writing. Michael, please read this. Deirdre. What the fuck is this? I said, hurling the letter at Davidson. Davidson caught it in midair. Ms. Lancaster asked us to deliver this to you. She hoped you'd read it. And why exactly? Why the fuck would I read anything that bitch sent me? I can't answer that. I just know she asked you to read it. Forget that. I picked up the thinner letter and ripped the top off. I tapped it, and a folded manuscript slipped out. I didn't even have to unfold it. One ten million dollar cashier's check looks much like another ten million dollar cashier's check. Anybody got a lighter? McCarthy, don't do anything too hasty. I know you have hard feelings toward your ex-wife. But we also know that you could use the money. Don't let your pride blind you to practical matters. I've checked you out and I know you've lost two million dollars this year. I don't know how much you have socked away, but ten million dollar can help. Mr. Davidson, I bow to no one in my admiration of your banking expertise. But you don't know everything. I did lose two million dollars this year. I came out three million dollars ahead last year. So maybe I'm down to my last million. Maybe I have more salted away. But if I was down to my last five dollars, I'd wipe my ass with that check, send it back to Deirdre and tell her to choke on it. I'm not taking anything from her, now or forever. Even so, I have to ask. Davidson said, Are you sure you want to do this? If you don't want it, give it to charity. Give it to Tom Goldberg's family, or at least a part of it. Give it to the animal shelter Carrie works at. Overhauser said, Ten million could save the lives of a lot of stray dogs and dash. I looked up as his head jerked back and a black hole appeared in the center of his forehead. A second later there was another shot and a second hole appeared in his left eye. He fell lifeless to the floor. The bodyguard Larry swung his .45 away from Overhouse's body and centered it on us. Don't anybody do anything rash. I don't think you three are carrying, but Davidson, you stand up and turn around. I want to make sure you don't have any firepower. You're too good. Stand up. Davidson stood up slowly, spun around, opened his shirt and turned his pockets inside out. Okay, sit down. McCarthy, now you. I heard stories about all the pocket pistols you carry. Stand up and strip. Don't be stupid. I might need you guys so I don't want to kill you. But I'm pretty fast and I will kill you if I have to. I wanted to try something, especially looking at Overhouse's body. But he was focused and ready and obviously had been planning this. The Bond Ranger Derringer was the only thing I had on me. Two fingers and throw it over here. Carefully. He picked it up carefully. That is one nasty piece of sneaky hardware. I think I'll keep it. I glanced as unobtrusively as I could to the doorway Larry had come through. He caught my glance and smiled. I wouldn't be counting on any rescue by the big man. He's tough. But three bullets to the back as close to the heart as I could make them, and one to the back of the head took him out. You shot him in the back? Davidson said, anger rising as he spoke. I sure as hell wouldn't come up and face him in a shootout. He was too big and too good. And he was too much of an old-school asshole to see the sense of us working together to split millions of dollars. It made more sense to kill him. I tried as hard as I could to make my face blank, hoping he couldn't read my mind he smiled at me, but his gun hand was rock steady. And McCarthy, you're thinking about your shotgun-wielding friend, Wendell. He might have been a problem, but I went down there earlier and put a knife through his heart and cut his throat, just to be on the safe side. Then I pulled a blanket over him. He did try to put up a fight, but he was too groggy. I made up my mind right then that I might die, but I was going to kill this son of a bitch before I did. Oh, and I hated to do it, but your girlfriend, the black-haired whore from the bar, had to be taken care of, too. I cut her throat and covered her over with a blanket. She never came to. Really not much of a loss, although she did have a smoking body. I was rising to my feet when Davidson grabbed my wrist with a grip that didn't feel like an old man. Don't. It'll just get you killed. The son of a bitch dash. There are only three of us left. That's right. Larry said with a grin that made it mandatory I pull his balls out through his throat. You three are alive because I might need one or two of you. I don't think I'll need all of you. You never can tell. Davidson said in a calm voice. It would really be a bitch to do all this, kill all those people, and then kill the one man you needed to carry this off. We're unarmed. We won't cause you any trouble. 
I hope not, Pops. If I have to, I can always blow this yacht up, get away in the motorboat, and send all your bodies down to the ocean floor. I'm keeping you alive for the convenience. His gaze moved to the check on the table. Henry, you're the pussy of this group so you pick the check up and carry it halfway to me. Drop it on the carpet. Then go back to the couch. Do it slowly. No quick moves and you make sure you don't block my view of the other two. I think you're the one I need the least. Henry did exactly what he was told, dropped it, and then backed away. Larry bent, never taking his eyes off us. He opened the check. The only visible sign of what he was looking at was the slight widening of his eyes. Ten million fucking dollars. Ten million fucking dollars. Cashable anywhere, by anyone. He ran his finger over the front, as if wanting to know what ten million dollars felt like. So you won the lottery? He looked up at Davidson. I'd say so, Pops. Even if I had to make a deal to turn it into cash, I'll still clear millions. I hate to rain on your parade. I'm a banker. You try dealing with anybody in this part of the world and they even suspect what you've got, and you won't live five minutes. You try taking it to any bank, and you'll be dead in thirty minutes. If any government official learns what you've got, you'll wish you were dead in a day or two. You give it to me, and with my connections I could arrange to cash it for you. Maybe for a reasonable fee. Maybe a million or two. But on the other hand, you go into the bank with me and I'll walk out. You won't. You stay hidden somewhere with these two guys as hostages to make sure I come back. But what if they're not as good friends of mine as I make out? I could be on a jet to Jacksonville and you'd be left with two bodies and a lot of bad people coming after you. All that killing for nothing. So why shouldn't I just kill you all right now, take the check with me and take my chances? Davidson just stared at him. Even though he was unarmed and Larry was an armed and ruthless killer, I began to think that Larry was out of his depth. Because if you kill us, you might as well blow your brains out. But you tie both of them up and leave them on the yacht and we can take the motorboat. By the time they're free, we'll be long gone. And there are places, in Hong Kong and Asia and the Arab Emirates and Dubai where a check like this could be cashed with no muss or fuss. They're used to dealing with much bigger amounts. We're going to be someplace where it won't be easy to just kill me. You're better to run because you'll have a lot of money and a lot of world to hide in. Why would you be so good to me? You'd have all kinds of chances to screw me over. Because it's not my money. And I have more than I'll ever spend. And a lady with her own bank would give me as much money as I ask for. I don't need the check. And you're welcome to run. Honestly. I don't really care if you get away or not. Everybody you've killed have been strangers to me. I'm a banker, not a cop. I could tell he was thinking about it, considering the odds. And probably fantasizing about retiring to paradise that I hated that that was probably the last thought to go through his head. Followed by a large caliber bullet. His legs went out from under him as he pitched forward to land face first near Overhouse's body. A monolith of a man stood swaying in the doorway. As we watched, his pistol fell to his side, his knees buckled and Harper Stevens collapsed like a huge oak on his side. Davidson was to his side first. Stevens. Blood gushed out of the big man's mouth. Sorry. Sorry. Bloody mess. Don't apologize, man. You saved all of us. We thought he'd killed you. Henry said. He thought he'd killed you. He did. The big man said, trying to open eyes that ran red with blood. But not easy to kill an SAS. His eyes closed, and he shuddered. Davidson held his bloody head in his hands. He gently slapped Stevens' face. Stevens tried to open his eyes. Stevens, listen to me. Hang on a little longer. Your daughter, the one in college will have a free ride as far as she wants to go. And when she's out in the world, she'll always have the Hunt Bank and Lancaster oil at her back. Stephen seemed to smile, although I wasn't sure if he was still with us. And when we get back, I'll tell her that her father died like a soldier, carrying out his duty to the end. I think he did smile at that and the life left his body. I went to Overhauser, but he was already cooling. Henry walked over to Larry, took his pistol from his hand and fired four more shots at point-blank range into his skull. Blood spattered. He was already dead. I know, but it made me feel better. I ran for the clinic but I knew what I'd find. Wendell lay wrapped in his blanket, which when unwrapped revealed a soggy, bloody mess. I couldn't help thinking what it must have felt like, lying there too groggy to fight back as he was being killed that I went to Maria's bunk. He had wrapped her too, but pulling the blanket back uncovered the red ruin of her throat, which had soaked down into the fabric underneath her. 
In death her features had relaxed, so that she didn't look like she was dead, only sleeping. Maybe I felt worse for her. Wendell and Overhauser had been my friends, but they were part of my crew. I'd have died for them and I thought they would have done the same for me, but she was not part of our business. Maybe she was a whore, almost certainly, but she hadn't set out to kill us. She had fallen in love with the wrong scumbag, and she'd still be alive if I had left her in the bar or dropped her off somewhere on our way to the powerboat. I went back to the den, and found Davidson and Henley taking straight shots of some very expensive whiskey and bourbon. Overhauser, Larry and Harper Stevens lay where they had fallen. They had covered Overhauser and Harper Stevens with blankets. They left Larry out naked to the world, as if he didn't deserve the dignity of being covered in death. Not much we can do for them now, Davidson said. We should be at the next port where we can hire aircraft to fly us back with their bodies. Looking at Larry, I said, he doesn't deserve a burial. I think I'll just toss him over the side and give the sharks or bottom feeders a treat. I think he was married. Henry said. He might have had children. Whether we take him back or throw him to the sharks, I think we should keep what happened here to ourselves. Why punish his family for something they had nothing to do with? Matt, if I was you, I'd find another profession than the law. Davidson said. When Henry gave him a questioning look, Davidson said. You'll never make a successful lawyer. You're too decent. Lawyers have got to be assholes. It's in one of the bar rules. Some of the best people I've known have been lawyers and some of the worst. Henry said. Pointing to an empty glass sitting in front of me, he said. Pour yourself a drink, McCarthy. I poured whiskey and held the glass up as Davidson and Henry did the same thing. To absent friends. And we clinked glasses. And drank expensive booze while the dark seas sped away beneath our feet rushing into the night. A an hour later I was at the wheel. The yacht almost sailed itself, but I'd done some boat handling and we were getting close enough to more traveled waters and a city where we could arrange transport of bodies back to the States that we needed to be careful. We had radar and sonar and radio communications but sometimes eyes on the sea helped out I figured I'd have some time to think about everything that had happened, but Davidson came up behind me. You mind some company? No. I thought you'd be getting a few hours sleep though. Don't need as much sleep as I used to. Besides, I had a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about. As long as they're not Dash, Deirdre Lancaster and Julian Gutman were married three months after you left the United States. You're my elder and I was raised not to lay hands on an elder. But if you're not gone very soon, I'm going to do my best to remove you. You probably could but you can't remove Deirdre from your head. Is that what this is about? Did she give you instructions to make sure I know how her life is progressing? I know she's a valued customer of the Hunt Bank, but how big a whore are you for valued customers? It's not like that. Just let me speak for a couple minutes, and then it's over. I won't say anything else. She did her best to get me killed with that damn check and now she's trying to blow my peace of mind all to hell. But go on. The next thing I know she'll be sending bounty hunters after me. But try to make it short. She and Julian were married three months after you left. She filed for divorce a year later after innumerable fairly public affairs on his side. Before the divorce could be finalized, despite her offer of a $1 million settlement, he hired a hitman to kill her. The hitman, of course, was an undercover officer. Gutman, the moron, panicked and tried to escape when they were arresting him and he shot the undercover officer. Killed him. He was charged with first-degree murder of a police officer in the commission of a felony, and a plot to kill the owner of a $250 million company. The state attorney didn't try to bargain, just convicted him and got him the death penalty. He's in Rayford right now where he'll probably be for a long, long time since the death penalty is being phased out. I can't tell you how I know, but unimpeachable sources tell me that he's having more sex than he's ever had in his life, but I doubt he's enjoying it all that much. He is a very pretty man. I looked out at the inky water passing below us and tried to feel satisfaction at the thought of Gutman being fucked senseless every night by cons who probably weren't sensitive lovers. But it didn't make me feel better. It just made me sad for everything that had been thrown away. I've burned up the check and the letter from her. Now I know how her life is going. Do me a favor, Davidson. When we hit land, I'm going to make arrangements with a local church to give Maria a decent burial if they can't find her family. I'm taking Wendell and Overhouse's bodies back to their families. You take your bodies home. And tell Durga to leave me alone, forget me. I don't want her getting any more innocent people killed. You know that if you just cashed the check five years ago, this would never have happened, don't you? 
Yeah, I know, Davidson. That is what makes this harder. But I couldn't cash it. He put his hand on my shoulder. I understand. More than probably anyone else, I understand why you couldn't. Doesn't make it any easier. That's the part of life that really sucks. You always have to deal with the consequences of your actions, no matter how long it takes before the bill comes due. This story is continued in the next part. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. We offer a free Erotica Podcast and a premium patron taboo podcast which contains more intense sexual themes. You can subscribe to the premium podcast for $2 per month or support the Erotica Podcast on Patreon to support us and allow members to request future stories and themes. Links are in the description. Thank you for listening.